everyone, and welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a SCORE podcast. We're excited for you to join us today for another conversation in our Deans of Admissions series. You'll hear from our guests about the fall semester during a pandemic, the admissions process, how schools are adapting, suggestions and advice for families, and much more. Our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buskirk, will guide us through the conversation today with our special guest. Now over to Peter for today's interview. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with admission leaders about matters affecting the college-going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk. Earlier this year, I was able to chat with 20 deans of admission about the challenges posed to their institutions by the emerging coronavirus. Today, I'm pleased that Heath Einstein, Dean of Admission at Texas Christian University, has been able to break away from the credential review process to update us on college admission in the era of COVID-19. Welcome, Heath. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be with you again. What are you seeing so far? I mean, I would imagine that, that folks like yourself had to come into this particular cycle with some trepidation, not knowing how to predict outcomes. Are, are, you, are you pleased with what you see so far with your early decision and early action response? I'm extremely pleased by what we have seen here at TCU. We have students and families who are no less enthusiastic than um, their counterparts in years past. Um, In fact, they may be even more enthusiastic because they cannot wait to get onto a college campus. In terms of- A little score crazy right now. Well, yes, absolutely. Um, Especially depending on what part of the country they're in. Now we happen to do a lot of business with families from the state of California. California has been um, quite a bit more aggressive than other parts of the country in their handling of uh, COVID-19, which means more students are at home, um, unable to take exams, by the way, and I'm sure we're gonna get to uh, questions on test optional, Um, but also being in school in their bedrooms um, all, all day. So, um, I think those families, especially, and other parts of the country where they have um, similar protocols, are really excited about going to college. In terms of numbers, um, we have seen our applicant pool look very similar to applicant pools of years past. We're down a little bit in total number of applications, but not appreciably. Uh, we feel really good about where we are. If we zoom out a little bit more, we know that in the marketplace, there are fewer applications out there particularly among students who are historically underrepresented on college campuses, who may be attending high schools where they don't have the same level of support uh, and resources. Um, And that's alarming. So just from an industry standpoint, the trend that we're seeing um, is not especially encouraging. But institutionally, we're doing okay. And I think part of it also is that because students didn't have the opportunity to visit college campuses in in big ways like they they traditionally would, there is some evidence that students are just waiting longer to submit their applications. So I would suspect that that what a lot of colleges, especially those that have um, tended to, who who tend to have front-loaded processes, may see some of those applications backfill as we get closer to that regular decision um, deadline. Uh, What's happening with testing now? I I think when we talked before, um, you talked about test optional at at, uh, TCU. How's that working this fall? So we 
decided that we were going to go test optional for this admission cycle mm -hmm. and then revisit during the cycle whether it's something we wanted to pursue on a longer term basis. Uh, the timing of your question is very good because we have just sort of wrapped up some initial conversations after a thorough review that, that uh, a committee I, I chaired um, did this, this fall semester, and actually starting in the summer and then into the fall. And what we proposed was that TCU um, should continue along this, along this line of thinking based on what we had seen, based on the evidence that other colleges had seen. Um, and, and I met with the provost last week um, and we determined that we were going to extend our test optional policy another two years to continue to study the numbers here at TCU and more so because we think this is the right direction to go on a permanent basis, but more so to think through how we can combat the challenges that we may face by enrolling a different student body. Because when you go test optional, what you're saying is, we think we have an opportunity to encourage more students, a broader array of students to come to our institution. Do we have the adequate supports in place so that all of those students can thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and we think that we've got, we think that we've got a lot of it in place, but we know that there are some, um, there are some challenges to be sure. And so over the next couple of years, I'm going to work with uh, leadership around the university in academic affairs and in student affairs, so that when we get to a point where we can make this a permanent policy, we're going to um, ensure student success. Because the point of not just test optional, but any, program designed to create access to higher education, the point is not to get students to show up. The point is to get them through the, the pipeline, ultimately graduated and, and um, securing employment afterwards. So well and theoretically the, the test op or the test itself is predicting success in the first year of college. So locally you, you really do need to see another cycle of these kids who enroll and then how they perform then. How are you dealing with the naysayers, the people who say, ah, that's just all marketing. You're just trying to get your numbers up, improve your, your, your scores, et cetera. Peter, we haven't heard any naysaying. Good I mean, for you. I, I know that there are naysayers out there in the, mm -hmm. in the stratosphere somewhere. But as far as the TCU community is concerned, and perhaps this is just because of the way that we've gone about and um, communicated to various stakeholders around campus, folks are wildly supportive of this idea because they understand the obstacles that the standardized tests present to students and ultimately to uh, the institutions. So um, we, we've had almost no pushback. And the pushback that we've had is more out of curiosity. They're asking questions. For example, you know, if we use test scores as a way to place students, what are we going to do in the absence of test scores? How are we going to get them into the appropriate math class or language class or, or what have you? Good question. So it's, it's, it's not, it is a good question. It's a fair question. And it's one of those challenges we need to work through in order to make this permanent. So that's more a, a hey, how are we going to handle it? Not this is, this is bad or wrong or, or anything like that. I'm, I'm curious to know the reaction of your readers right now. I, I, way back when, when we went test optional, 
it's kind of like going swimming without a life jacket for the first time. And is this going to work or not? And we found it to be really liberating to look at candidates without test results. What about your team? Because uh, you have a lot of applicants and a lot of kids applying without test results. Now you have to rely on other factors. Is it slowing things down? Uh, how are you? How are you making it work? I think you used the the, the perfect word, liberating. Um, that's ex that's exactly how our team feels now. I think it's there's also a level of adjustment that is required because if you are used to reviewing applications with a data point that is now missing from roughly half of the, the pool, and in our case, over half, we have about 45% of our applicants who have submitted test scores up to this point. Mm -hmm. um, in the absence of that, you have to just retrain your, your mind. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, the test score was never a factor by itself. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to help our readers understand that that is just one piece of mm -hmm. the academic uh, preparation uh, assessment. Good. Um, in the absence of that, there's plenty of other data available for us to be able to evaluate a candidate's likelihood to succeed here in the classroom the combination of um, curriculum strength, grades, uh, school environment, and so forth, that really is enough to, to let us know if a, if a student is likely to do well. I, I always talk in terms of likelihoods because you never know what's gonna happen with the student, as you well know. Mm -hmm. um, but now that we are at the tail end of this early file review, I think our, our counselors are now very comfortable and, and the other piece to it is not just how do the people who are giving that, that first or second read feel, but then what are, what's happening in committee and how are we normalizing it such that from one committee to another, we're not seeing drastically different uh, mm. outcomes for, for students. Um, and that's been, a, that's been a process too, but I feel really good. I mean, I'm fortunate that we have a, a dynamic team here in the in the office of admission at TCU, so you know it wasn't it wasn't solely on on my brain, which would have been a big disaster if it were. Um, we we we've got a great team here, and I think we've handled it exceedingly well. Um, we will see what happens in in not too much time because we, as I mentioned earlier, we release our early action decisions in four days, and we will start to see returns almost immediately. And so I, I think the great unknown here is not so much are we admitting the right students or, or not the right students, because frankly, the, the applicant pool, I don't think looks drama dramatically different. Um, and I think most of the students who apply could do well here. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we were, what, what's just the unknown is what's the yield going to be like on these, on these students. Mm -hmm. And when, you, when you're not factoring in test scores for students, um, not just for admission, but for academic scholarship, for the honors college, for, for all sorts of other programs, um, that's, that's the unknown in year one. We, we don't know what's going to happen, what the response is gonna be like. So, you know, circle back with me in about a month, Peter. Right, I don't envy you in that regard. Uh, so much <laughs> of uh, what you do is predicated on what you've done in the past and the results of past. So uh, this is a whole new brave world for you right now. That's right. That's right. But we're excited about it. Everyone here is very enthusiastic. Uh, go back to what you said before, liberating. I think that the um, this is a time of year when 
folks tend to be a little bit bleary eyed because mm -hmm. we're, we're reviewing the bulk of our applications in, in a six week period between November one and, and, and December 15th, roughly um, every year. And I haven't seen that level of, um, I haven't seen all the visine that I normally might at this point in the year. Now, the other thing is people are mostly at home and I don't see that right. as much. Um, <laughs> so maybe there's, maybe it's out of sight, out of mind, but I really do. I, I can tell in the, in the write-ups that our, that our folks are providing committee, um, how enthusiastic they are about students. I think they're finding it challenging because they, without those test scores, people look a lot, uh, look a lot better. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not because they are better. It's because we're now uninhibited by what by a factor that has weighed down students in the past, whether we want to acknowledge it or not on a subconscious level that is happening. Yeah, I, I remember and the, this is years ago, but I remember prior to test option in, in our process, we'd look at, at candidates that, that were very interesting to us in every way, except a very modest test score. And someone would then opine, well, if we take him, what will the scores do to our profile? Boom, end of conversation. Right. So, um, th there's a flip side to the, the testing. You know, if, if we see this sort of downward spiral in terms of engagement with testing around the country, it means that there's perhaps a, a lessening of an opportunity for schools to identify students because for many, many years we've used testing searches uh, resulting from testing and we call that lead generation uh, opportunities. Do you see that going away? I don't see it going away entirely, and part of the reason for that is there are a lot of schools that still require the test and mm -hmm. will and will require the test in the future. Sure. Um, so even though there is this wave that's moving away, um, I think if you have enough of the most desirable schools that are still requiring them, then you're still going to see students who will do what they can to take exams. So I don't see search going away completely. Um, it will be different for sure, but what I also think is you're going to see, a, you will see companies enter this space because anytime there is a void, there's innovation that occurs, and you're going to see companies enter the space and, and do lead generation. Uh, changing subject just a little bit here with regard to access and, and um, affordability at, at this point. There are a lot of people who are entering the, the college process this fall who might have felt much more comfortable in 2019 than they have felt financially in 2020. Uh, are you seeing, hearing any measurable angst, if you will, among families uh, in, in this applicant process because of cost and affordability? Well, we saw that certainly at the end of the cycle last year, when the um, when the pandemic first hit, uh, we knew that as financial stability came into question, that families were seeking out additional opportunities for support in ways that they wouldn't have earlier. We, we could look at a family's EFC and know that on paper, based on previous tax years, that they, they had the ability to pay, but mom and dad got laid off. Um, and we saw, that, we saw that more and more. So we actually made some strategic choices in funding late in last year's cycle mm -hmm. um, that really helped bring in the, the first year class. I mean, there's just no question that we wouldn't have been able to do it without some of that um, infusion of, of financial support. As a result of that, 
and understanding we're not exactly that far removed from that experience. And many of the families are dealing with the same financial reality or at least have a greater understanding of the precariousness of their position. Um, we, and I'm sure many other colleges are doing this, will be a, quite a bit more aggressive in our financial aid offers from the outset. Rather than waiting until the end, I think colleges are gonna put a little bit more money on the table at the beginning um, in, in hopes of, uh, of yielding their, their entering first year class. Um, while still reserving some of that money for appeals that, that are uh, almost certain to come. We are seeing evidence of that, um, that there's, there's just no question about it. Are you able to do anything preemptively with families that are looking at the FAFSA? And of course they complete the, the, the FAFSA, that's the free application for federal student aid uh, based on their 2019 tax return and say, my God, that's not what it looks like now. I mean, their first reaction is, well, how can we appeal this? Well, you can't appeal it to the FAFSA because <laughs> the FAFSA is a big computer. And the, the appeal really needs to come to the institution. Do you do anything preemptively to, to invite those kinds of conversations? Yes. Um, now, the, the other thing for TCU is, in addition to FAFSA, we require the profile. Right. And the CSS profile does allow us to understand the fa family's finances at, at a more granular level. But we are, as part of our admitted student programming, offering financial aid sessions, which we, of course, always would do uh, in large groups, um, but we're going to be offering a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions, too. Uh, again, proactively, we're going to be promoting that to, to families, mm -hmm. um, rather than making them look up on the website a number that they need to call. And, you know, we, we just, we know that those appeals are going to come in, so we want to be able to get a, a head start on those. Have you had much conversation with students either over the summer for the class that just enrolled or with students who are now applying about the potential for deferring in the gap year? Has that come up much? We've had very few questions this year, Peter, about deferring to not fall 21, but fall 22, right? Which is what this uh, high school senior class would be looking at. I think because students are ready to start college um, they, they don't want to they don't want to take time off. It was different last year when this was all new and they weren't really sure exactly what a university setting was going to look like. And the other thing for us is, you know, our students have been here in person all year. So it's different, I think, for campuses where the entire experience is online and students and parents might not be interested in that experience and certainly don't want to pay right. a premium for it. At TCU, they're getting the the more or less full experience. Of course, it's it's not exactly what what would happen. But what was surprising for us is in last year's entering class, um, or I should say, this current freshman class, first year class, we were a bit worried, like I think all colleges were, that everybody would request to defer. And as a result of that, what we said to students was, if you're going to defer, you could only defer for an entire school year, not just a semester. I think the line of thinking from students was, okay, we're going to give it a semester, see how the fall plays out, and then I'll just start in the spring. Right. We didn't want students to make that choice because we feared a lot of students would make that choice and we wouldn't have uh, enough uh, revenue coming in in the fall semester. However, we didn't get that many. Yes, it was increased. So in a typical year, we may have five to 10 students who requested defer and for, for a variety of reasons. Maybe they just need time to recharge their batteries. Maybe they're doing some mission work. Maybe they wanted to backpack through Europe or what have you. 
This year we have about 40 to 45 students who will be deferring. Um, so sure, it's a bigger number, sure. but it's not like it's taking every spot in next year's uh, first year class, which was, the, <laughs> which was the fear. We heard from a lot of school counselors, right. what are you gonna do to make sure that the rising seniors, we heard this over the summer, have space? Well, mm. we have an entering first year class that's gonna be somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,300 students. So 40 spots versus 10 spots in a normal year, you know, that delta of 30 isn't gonna prevent your student from being admitted. And I hear that conversation often as well, and my response is as yours is, in a somewhat related way, do you think it's likely that selective institutions that, that build their yield models, predicting who's gonna come off of past year experiences, and of course, there is no past year that looks like this year. Do you think there's going to be a tendency on the part of schools to, if, if my words, over-admit a little bit, uh, just to, to ensure that the class uh, comes in according to their, their, their specifications of their models? Yes. I think that you're going to see more schools that, A, admit more students than they did in previous years. Mm -hmm. Because if they, even if it leads to over-enrollment, colleges really need the revenue. So that's number mm -hmm. one. And I think the second thing is you're going to see colleges that offer more students an opportunity to sit on the on a wait list, or if they're an early student, they'll defer more students to to a later round to see what the early yield activity looks like. In other words, I think you'll see fewer students denied outright, mm -hmm. at least through the mid to late spring. Right, right. It, it, fascinating phenomena this year. And I'd come to a similar conclusion just watching things from afar, and it's really good to hear that that confirmation. As, as you kind of reflect, and we, we talked about this at the outset of the conversation, a lot of in, innovation born out of necessity. Do you, do you look to the future to see specific things that you're doing now that you hadn't done a year ago that you're thinking, okay, this makes sense. Uh, let's, let's keep this on the docket for the next few years in terms of your strategic engagement with students. Yes, Zoom land has allowed us to do that. Now, I don't know how receptive students are going to be to that <laughs> once, they, once we get yeah. past this, and this is all in our rearview mirror. But I suspect, actually, the next generation of students um, not only won't mind it, but will be used to it. So, you know, once we get to a point where you're not required to be on Zoom every day, all day, but we can offer a smattering of opportunities to engage with us in a way that is far more boutique than we could do in the past. Sure. That totally aligns with this generation of student. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, I think there's there's there are all sorts of interesting ways that we can um, that we can connect with students. And as you said before, and we're spot on, connect with students who might not otherwise be able to to get here. So much of the goodwill and energy that is generated about a college comes from the visit. And if you look, uh, we're not different from other schools. If you look at the data, uh, students who visit are, are, have a higher likelihood to apply, have a higher likelihood to enroll, et cetera, all, all the way through. And, and in the absence of that, you, you have to find a way to, to, to still create that, that energy toward, toward the school. So I think we're, we're going to be able to provide a, um, a broader set of, of opportunities so that, you know, if you come for, for a visit, you would normally be sort of randomly assigned a, a tour guide or you're going to go to a set of spots on campus because we have to cater to mm -hmm. sort of the a, a common denominator but now we can get have a very personalized approach to the to this to the visit experience if we're doing it remotely so i i think there's some really exciting opportunities uh from that standpoint 
I'm tempted to kind of go down a rabbit hole on this one with you a little bit too, because I've, I've encountered a number of students who lament the fact that they can't visit college campuses. How can I figure out whether I'm a good fit, et cetera? I would imagine though, in your review process already, you've been able to, to discern the degree of intentionality that a student brings to the process for TCU. What, what kinds of things are students doing now in the absence of that visit to the campus that enable them to, to, to kind of drill down and get to know the, the synergy that might exist between themselves and the school? Mm-hmm. And, and of course, they, their ability to prove that in the application. Right. Well, I, I want to start with, we've never asked a student to prove that. Um, right. for, for us, while we track a student's interest in TCU, that's, that's, that's as much for sort of informational mm. uh, reasons as anything else. And it's the sort of thing that, that, would, that could um, help push a student over the top versus keep them out. And I'm always quick to, to say that because if I have a student in front of me on an application and they have relative to other applicants, little knowledge about TCU, but maybe we have the major that they wanted or, or something. And they have done stellar work in high school and have proven that they can, they can do well here. We're, we're very likely to admit them. Mm-hmm. And then the onus is on us to convince them that this is going to be a great place for them, mm-hmm. as opposed to them having to con- convince us. I mean, to me, if a student submits an application, they're telling us they're interested in the school. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I start from that standpoint where, where interest could really help a student is, okay, we've got to narrow down our pool a little bit. We've got, you know, thousands of students we, th- we think could do well. I'm trying to get that down. You know, I need, I need to eliminate 500 students who sort of are sitting on the fence. I may at that point say, we're gonna take the most interested students among here. But those are, it's always a, a student who is sort of uh, in a gray area to begin with. Okay? Exactly. Now, that preamble behind us, there are ways that a student can still show us that they've done their homework. First of all, and I know that this is, um, this is Captain Obvious talking here, we've got a pretty big and robust website. Mm-hmm. And so a student, can spend a lot of time on our site and learn a heck of a lot about what TCU has to offer, not just these courses, but about the culture of TCU. And with YouTube videos that we put out there and uh, opportunities to connect one-on-one with students and faculty and administrators and, and, and so forth, you would be surprised at the level of knowledge that a student has about this place without having the opportunity to, to be here in person. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a campus visit program going on right sure. now. Now, it's, it's a little bit limited um, because we, we need to make sure that we're maintaining social distance and, and, and all of that. We only have certain space in our, in our building, but students can still visit campus. Just have to put that plug in. But yeah, there, there are all sorts of ways students can and, and do that. I mean, I'm continually impressed by that. Um, I think in this cycle more than any other, I, I was commenting to some folks on our, on our team that um, I am really inspired by the students this year who, who, are, who are seniors in high school and putting themselves out there. I think that through um, the application process, the essays that they're writing, the custom questions they're responding to about fit with institutions and, and so forth, that we have a group of students who know themselves really well. They're able to communicate what they've experienced here over the last nine months in particular. Um, in ways that are inspiring and heartbreaking and everything in between. 
I'm, I'm not worried about our future when I look at, at the, the young people who are coming through this process. Well, that's, that's good to, to hear. And I mean, you've, we suspect that, but it's good to know that you, you see the evidence of that. I'd like to kind of draw things to a, a, a close here shortly, but before I do that, um, if you had an opportunity to, to talk with families at the beginning of the process now, again, the context is COVID-19, the impact that has had on institutions, but also the relationships between institutions and families, what are maybe one or two questions that you think students and their parents should be asking as, as they get to know schools and, and begin to consider their options uh, these days? Well, Peter, there are a couple of questions that come to mind, and they are questions that I think would work under any conditions, sure. but are probably exacerbated by um, our, our current environment. One is, what is the true cost of attendance at, at the institution? And what what um, level of indebtedness might I anticipate walking away from this school with? Um, again, it's a question that that's that families should always be asking. But I think in a time of economic uncertainty, um, with no real knowledge about what kind of bounce back we're looking at, mm -hmm. um, then, then that that has to be part of the the equation. Um, and added to that. It, is not just what's the amount of debt that a student can expect to have, but but also the the, the parent debt because a lot of parents will will take out plus loans and 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 colleges don't add that into the right. uh, average indebtedness. That's just not the way it's reported, right? As you know, but families ought to be thinking about that. I I happen to think that TCU is a phenomenal place to go to school. I think there are opportunities here for students that you can't get in at every college. At the same time, I don't think I would want to be in debt for the next 30 or 40 years for any school. It doesn't matter how good it is. So, so I think that's question number one that, that needs to be asked. Question number two is, and I know this sounds really simple, are your students happy? Are your students happy? Because for the amount of money you're going to spend, right. <laughs> um, you, you ought to feel like you are entering a, a college environment where the students are excited to be there. They get something out of every day they're on campus, in the classroom, outside the classroom, in the larger community. Are they feeling positive about the experience? Are they glad they made the decision? Would they choose to go to the school again if they had it all to do over. And if they're not happy, so this is, this is sort of part B to that question, what kind of resources does the college have for students to be able to, to deal with any mental health issues that they face? This is a, a growing problem in our society. And is the college that you are looking at prepared to handle crises that might emerge while you're in college? Uh, we know that more and more students enter college today under mental duress. So are we prepared to handle that? Exactly. Wow, great advice. And, uh, and I, hope that, <laughs> I hope the families listening to this uh, take to heart the advice that Heath is offering right now. Heath, this is wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're able to step away from, from credential review. I expect <laughs> that uh, you didn't mind a break for a little bit, but uh, uh, your perspective is, is just, uh, I think, 
a really good uh, element to add to the college planning process for a lot of families who are in it now or who are about to become in it. So thank you again. I hope that uh, you are all enjoying your day and that you continue to be safe. Take care now.